Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck's the bulls? What the fucks? Uh, what the, uh, whatever. I, maybe I should make a new list. I don't know. Maybe I should turn the power off on my air conditioner. Maybe I should do a lot of things. Maybe I should get my cat out of here before he pees on my books. My cat is an anti-intellectual. He's a, he's a Philistine. He's a, a, a barbarian. He's a barbarian. He comes in here and he pees on highbrow books. He peed on my copy of, uh, Susan... Jacobi's free thinkers and also on uh, Hitler's willing executioners. Those are two books that I almost read and parting the waters. I don't know why all three of those together. One's about Martin Luther King. Uh, one's about uh, the so-called good German and the others about the right wing's complete misunderstanding of the founding fathers. But Boomer just peed on all of them. Just peed on them. Boomer likes to pee on books. Boomer likes to pee on books. That I think that could be a, a chorus of a, a repetition of a song of some kind. How are you? Uh, I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for listening. Today I'm very excited to talk to Richard Lewis. Richard Lewis, who had a profound impact on me. Richard Lewis, a kindred spirit. Richard Lewis, who I remember when I was in college seeing on Letterman, probably the first season, or I don't remember when he first went on, but I was watching Letterman in college the first season of letterman i thought it was just the the greatest thing to ever happen to television and then this dude comes out waving his hands wearing black being woody allen on like 78 speed and i was like what is who is this tornado of semitic neuroticism who is this kindred spirit for for years i've seen richard lewis and uh i i've always been curious to chat and we chat and that will happen soon so uh, I'm excited about that. I hope you're excited about that as well. What else is going on? I did the real-time show with Bill Maher. That was a thrill. Very exciting. Uh, there might even be some uh, right-wingers listening right now uh, because I you know, I got my chops back together. You know, I don't do a lot of politics on this program, but many of you know my background. You know where I stand on some things. I, I choose to deal with life uh, as opposed to uh, channel my anger uh, into things that I may or may not feel uh, I have control over or, or are necessarily all that interested in all the time, but things are getting heated up. And uh, I had to put on my uh, political satirist hat and uh, jam on some irreverence, do the big business on Bill Marshall. But I was thrilled to be asked to do the show because I, I like Bill. I've liked Bill a long time. I have not done uh, any of his shows. I, I haven't been on, I wasn't on politically. I was on the, like, I was on politically incorrect when it was down at Comedy Central, for God's sakes. And I was excited. I didn't I didn't know what to expect. You know, I still get a very big thrill from doing television and from uh, going, you know, it tapes over at CBS. But it's it's interesting when you do these short TV spots over your, you know, half my life I've been doing those things. And it's always sort of interesting to see what you're walking into. And they tape over at CBS. And I believe, if I'm not uh, mistaken, they tape on the same stage as The Price is Right. So, you see, there was uh, some snowmobiles. There were there there were th- some things that I guess they people guessed upon or guessed the price of. They were all 
outside the main studio and then you walk in and there's the big beautiful real-time set the audience is set back further than i thought and you just never know how it's going to feel when you go out onto a stage in front of an audience on television and it was wild because on tv uh, everything obviously is larger but really you walk out and it's it's three people it was mark cuban and uh krisha freeland dan savage uh, and uh, a, a famous vegan doctor, Campbell, I believe is his name. I, you know, he was uh, interesting, Doctor T. Colin Campbell. And but the weird thing is, you walk out when you're waiting in the wings to go on. You realize, oh my God, it's just there's just four people sitting out there in the middle of a big studio at a at this uh, makeshift desk, and they're just people, and we're gonna just be people. And the audience is set back. God, it must have been about forty feet behind the cameras. So you could barely see them. It's a very dark set. And it was it was incredibly intimate, uh, which I didn't realize. And I got out there and me and Bill locked in and we had a conversation. And then, we, you know, we shifted gears. We got into some uh, some stuff. Uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, my past and my radio past at uh, at Air America. And then we got into uh, Michelle Bachman and her husband somehow. And then it got it got uh, got a little gnarly. Some uh, some serious uh uh irreverence occurred uh with me and dan savage and it seems to have rattled the cage of the right just a bit it doesn't take much it's it's pretty interesting to me and it was pretty exciting it felt good to be back in that arena and uh you know i appreciate the i appreciate the gig and then you walk off you go backstage you wipe the makeup off your face you have a snack at the little after party upstairs and you watch them take the the backdrop of the set and they roll it past you and you just see how TV works. Uh, but I, it, it was very fun to do it, and I'm, and, I, and I'm glad I had the experience. I did show up about four hours early for the show because uh, I, I thought Carmageddon started that afternoon, Friday. I thought it started at 5 o'clock Friday. And even though I was going east to west, I prepared. It's amazing the hype behind that thing and how it can fuck with your head. I mean, I left. I, you know, I, I couldn't get out of my driveway. I literally, I was putting, you know, I, I brought... Uh, I brought my phone, I brought my pad, I brought my pens, I brought three shirts, I didn't know what I was going to wear, I ended up buying a new shirt, but literally it took me about a half hour to get out of my driveway because I didn't know what Carmageddon would yield. I, I, I might as well have been going back for a second pair of underwear, perhaps a sleeping bag, maybe some gorp, maybe I needed a bag of gorp, I didn't know how long I'd be out there in the wild, maybe I needed to have one of them uh, truckers friends, what are those, uh, the things that you pee in on the road, I had no idea, but I ran into absolutely no traffic at all, so I was there two hours early by myself with the people that set up the show. But again, good times. Glad I did it. And if I, if I did, if you are a conservative listening to it right now, uh, out of curiosity, thinking like, who's this fucking bastard? Who's this guy that talks that kind of shit? I don't have to respect politicians. I don't, I don't have to revere them. I don't have to, uh, consider them good people or noble people thank god i honestly think i think i pissed off both sides a little bit but i can live with it it was amazing when i was preparing i had this overwhelming anxiety and almost a flashback to when i did morning radio there was this this moment where i'm sitting with a stack of news stories that i've got to highlight get angles on understand uh, and, and I was just a guest on Bill Marshall. I wasn't even on the panel, but my brain just locked into that because I used to do that every fucking day. I'd get up at 2.30, 3 in the morning after sleeping about six hours, 
just jam a bunch of coffee into my face and just go over the day's news and underline and panic and just sort of, uh, you know, kind of get myself into this weird manic state where I became this kind of angry, funny delivery system just fueled by Dunkin' Donuts coffee and handfuls of M&Ms. Oh, my God, right now I'm starting to sweat. Just that day-to-day compulsive need to be on top of the uh, goings-ons and the 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 arguments and the points of view and just, I mean, it's exciting. I don't know if it's necessarily important. It's certainly not what I do anymore, uh, but I am not afraid to talk about things that have some personal impact on me or, or if they be political, so be it. But I got to be honest with you. Uh, Michelle Bachman has annoyed me for years, and uh, it was a relief to get that out of my system. So that's that. Just got back from a little barbecue, and uh, I have to admit to being a grill bully. I'm a grill bully. If I go to a barbecue and the dude is in charge of the burgers or is in charge of the chicken or is in charge of the grill in general, and they are just disorganized or not fucking doing it, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bully him out of that position. I just have no patience for it. I got there, the dude was flipping the hamburgers over and over again, kept opening the grill, kept playing with the positioning, did not have the buns in the right place. And uh I I did that thing that it wasn't the guy that was having the party, so I didn't feel like I was uh, stepping on anyone's territory. But sometimes, man, I mean, you just gotta step in and grab that spatula, grab those tongs and and do it like it needs to be done just you know get you know i i am not uh, a classic man in that way you know i'm not a car guy yeah i'm not a sports guy but uh when it comes to 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 taking over a grill sometimes you just got to do it i mean i didn't insult him i didn't call him a grill pussy i just i said do you mind and i i took the equipment and i fed 20 people that's that's what i did and it was a birthday party and i didn't bring a present so i was able to kind of detach and say, you, you know, they were very grateful that I, I took charge of that. And I said, well, happy birthday. You see how that works? I, I did service today. I did grill service in lieu of birthday present. And I thought I thought that was a noble thing to do. I'm no grill genius either, but I got it in me. You know what I mean? It was always my plan B. There's always the plan B that has completely faded away now. This is it. This is all I got. But somewhere in the back of my head, I thought I can always go back to the grill. You want uh, headphones or no? Yeah. Do I need them? Well, if you want to hear yourself. Well, this is not live. No. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you can. I hate myself. Why should I? You have can. To you, it? you can regulate your uh, voice appropriately if you hear it in the head. You're like all of a sudden you're some kind of professor of radio. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm now, just trying what's to. I, I'm the, not, what's the language? Uh, I, there's no language problems. I want. Yeah. I want uh, Richard Lewis to be the best Richard Lewis he can be. I want him to be able yeah, to regulate. We want every night from both of us. So, uh, are you, so I'm exhausted. I, you know, I've been. Up, we, are, is this rolling? Yeah. It's a very lovely house. Thank you. Are you exhausted? I'm beyond exhausted. I had uh, been on the road. Um, and I forgot to take a break, so it was 41 years in a row. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah you what? should probably relax a little bit, take a little time off. Not here, not in this house. <laughs> this house is great. It's, it's unbelievable. It's overlooking the Alamo. Yeah. <laughs> no, it seems that way. It seems like people are gonna, can rush up. Yeah. 
The last time I saw you, I was at LAX. And, and we I'm a in... liberal, by the way. Let me just say this. And I had this driver who's a Native American. Yeah. And he keeps talking about the, you know, now you're in the barrier. I go, I don't give a fuck where I am. I'm going to hear to do Mark's show. Uh-huh. And he's out there nervous in the car. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's waiting. Not, he's waiting. He's out there shining uh, bows and arrows. <laughs> he's sitting, I said, you have to protect me. And, and, try, and he had a globe with him, too. He didn't know where he was fucking going. The whole thing was a... Yeah, really? Is that the new thing? That, no, he didn't want the uh, GPS. He no, just yeah, went globe. old school I with said, a globe. He's pointing to the boot of Italy, this fucking <laughs> this, is where, this is where we're going. Well, let me ask you something, and Richard. It, you better, otherwise it's dry. It's just going to go. No, no. I no. woke up at four a.m. for this. You did not. What do you do at four well, a.m.? Can I, you not sleep? No, not last. No, I've been on the road. I did about twelve shows in eighteen days, and I'm just and I finished the script all in eighteen days. And I'm nuts. What's the script for? A, a television show, and then I'm I'm doing. You know, I'm you know I'm trying to go out with a bang, man. Yeah, I understand that. Forty-one well, years. Forty-one years. Has it been forty-one years? Yeah, 41, since you started. Forty-one years ago. Since you started. Your first time on stage. Where was that? Uh, at a club in the village that's no longer there. Which one? It's called the Champagne Gallery. And where'd you st- Where did you come from? My mother's vagina. How was that for you? Horrible. Yeah, you never got over it, did you? Well, she wanted to push me back in. <laughs> Still, she's <laughs> dead. They're all dead. But I mean, uh, they didn't. I was a mistake child. Me too. Jesus yeah, I'm Christ. Not gonna, I'm not. You know, I have I have about eight thousand billion pages in my computer of premises. So uh, I'm, you're not going to be catching me doing routines. But the truth is, I really was a, a mistake, baby. There's no way they wanted me. Yeah. My parent, my siblings were much older, and my father looked like a like a Jewish, like a, looked like Michelangelo with a fucking beard. I said, "Wait yeah. a minute, what the fuck am I doing here?" And then everyone, everyone moved out. My brother moved out to you know hear uh, Allen Ginsberg stand on a corner and do you know howl. And my you're, sister, you're, he moved to San Francisco. No, I think Ginsburg was in New York, but I uh, will you do some research before you call me the next time. Sure, it's unbelievable. Everything, that was about, I, everything you said so far has been wrong. Well, that's to provoke conversation. I, I was just I saying, don't need you to be wrong to provoke. You're very stim- You're very hilarious. But Allen Ginsberg is a New Yorker. Right, but, he, New but York. he read Howl for the first time at City Lights Book. I made some you? dumb... You know what? I, I take back that whole fucking comment. Oh, boy. It was stupid, Mark. Are we, I can't believe we're already here. We've been here. We've been going 10 minutes. I think it's going quite well. All right, good. Where were you born? I was born in Brooklyn. I'm a New Yorker. And then they moved to New Jersey. And I was raised there, if you want to use that... Word. Did you do anything else before comedy? I was in my mother's womb. What could I do? I, I wasn't triple A ball. You know, was I, there another trajectory? That's my only question. Oh. Gonna, you know what I mean? Like I, I mean, was there like no, I'm going to no. get a job and do this? No, I had a job. Well, I did that. There was uh, comedy writing, but it wasn't in my heart of hearts. And my father had to re, uh, sent me to college in Europe and all this shit. I I just felt like I couldn't. I didn't have the balls to say. You know what? I'm gonna give it all up and and work for free and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't do it. <laughs> and so what? So what did you end up doing? I he died very soon after I graduated college, and then that it was a real shocker, man. So it was uh, it catapulted me on stage because I was writing jokes for all these uh, you know these Borschfeld guys and like who? Well, I guess the most famous was a guy named Morty Gunty. He was, uh, but there was a there was a handful of them. You you wrote uh, one liners for, uh, for for all these guys who were doing the yeah, yeah, yeah. the the, the, the Borscht Belt. So did you it. go up there to watch your act and everything? Fucking a! <laughs> so you sat up there at the hotels. Yeah, I wanted to see if they delivered it right. Uh huh. And did Once, they? No. 
And they they gave me back everything. 99% they said, this won't work for me. And I realized why. Because it was about me. Yeah. I said, then it, then it suddenly, it suddenly, when my father dropped dead, Yeah. I realized that there was such a hole to fill in that. It was pretty horrible for everybody in the family. My mother and brother and sister and everybody else. So anyway, so the truth of the matter is going on stage did really help fill that hole. In, in terms of the grief and everything else? Totally. That's exactly what I'm talking about. The first time we ever, you actually understood what I said. Yeah, I, I've understood most of it. Oh, I've been inarticulate. No, I don't think so. I, I, you've been in my brain for, uh, for most of my adult life. I remember the first time I saw you on uh, on David Letterman. Letterman, and I was like, "Where the 82. fuck did this guy come from?" I must have seen. Really? That's very nice. Is that a compliment. Yeah, I, it was. Uh, it, it must have been your first appearance because it was just. It was electric. Wow. You know, you you spoke to a direct channel in my mind, and I was like, wow. "That's the guy." That's the guy. That's the guy. And, and people compare me to you, and I and I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. But I'm not. It's not an insult to me. Oh, I think Paul Reiser had that problem too. Hell, really. But I, wait, I like the idea of a young Richard Lewis sitting at the... I don't care what you like. I know. I'm, I'm sitting at the I'll Concord. i Go on. Sitting at the Concord Hotel, yeah. uh, you know, at the feet of these fat, sweaty old Jewish men that do half their act in Yiddish. Come on, there's only a few Jews left. Let us. We got to be nice to ourselves. Okay. There were fat Jewish women there, too. Yeah, their wives. And their children were fat and Jewish. I'll tell you something. In my 30s, I had sold out Carnegie Hall, and it was a great night. I'm a recovered drug addict for like 17 years, and so, I you know I basically showed up pretty all right, and uh, then I then I hammered my life away. But has it been 17? Yeah, well, it's incredible. I'm coming it? up on 12. I'm trying to remember. Are you really? Yeah. Wow. I but I, uh, I you hosted the A list. I was on the A list yeah. when you hosted. Yeah, if it wasn't for the teleprompter, I'd still be there. <laughs> and you were still drinking I, then, right? Oh yeah. 89. That was yeah, 89. And with the teleprompter, it was a piece of cake. No, no. Oh yeah, I was drinking. Yeah, yeah. You know, teleprompter. It looked like you know everything. It was so great. Yeah, that was gonna... my rider. Teleprompter. <laughs> yeah. No, but all he does is get on a horse and tr go over a hill. No, I need a teleprompter. <laughs> so all right. So going back, where, where, oh, the concourse. So, yeah. Dick, so, so the manager says, he says, um, listen, it's a lot of bread for an hour. And I said, yeah, but now this ain't my kind of gig. He says, yeah, but you're in New York. I said, fine. So I rented a stretch, four great friends, a lot of champagne. I told the limo guy, I go, I'm going to the Concord, keep the engine running. <laughs> so I, I take a picture with the owners, uh, with the owners, the yeah. older guys yeah. who are my age now, if not old, or younger even. And um, I can't believe how fucking old I am. Anyway so, anyway, so I take a picture and I go out and I, and I hear, and it's 3,000 people in a, uh, eating. Yeah. Yeah, and I hear, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Lewis, not one, not even Citizen Kane, not even that even. So they don't even recognize. They don't even look at the stage. Three thousand yeah. <laughs> eating Jews. Well, Jews like to eat, but yeah. you know, at the expense of a spoken word, it's a murder. Yeah. So I said to them, I took out. My, I looked at my watch. I went, look, because I had the check in my wallet. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of bread. Yeah. For an hour, yeah. it was a joke. So I said, look. I got 32 minutes and 18 seconds. I had a stopwatch. Yeah. I said, and, and all I, and I said that, and then I heard, I heard 2,000 people go, I didn't get pears, Lenny. <laughs> and that's really a loud <laughs> sentence when 2,000 people say it. And I, it, it was almost mystical. 
So I bombed. So dig this. The guy, he's, I don't Peter Allen, he's yeah. passed away. He was with one of Liza Minnelli's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Husbands. Yeah. He was on the next night, and um, he apparently was there. And a friend of mine was there for a weekend, as was my uncle, who's still alive at 97, who was divorced then, but he was still, I was still his uncle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his nephew, rather. And he told the group of people, he said, um, that my nephew, that's, he was, he's in this series with Jamie Lee Curtis, and he just did Carnegie Hall, and he's going to be on. He was real proud, right? Yeah. At the end of the show, my uncle uh, Milton said, who's still alive, he's doing great, he's 98, he's cool. He said to the people after the show, I think he's my nephew. <laughs> I think he's my He was so humiliated, because I absolutely got no laughs. So I go up to the suite, and the suite at the Concord was like being in your grandmother's bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was. You know, it was just. Yeah. It smelled. It smelled like I thought the pogrom was going to rush yeah, in. Yeah, little rose-shaped hand soaps and things. Yeah, all yeah. that shit. I mean, it was yeah. all. It was. It was all yeah. bad. Yeah, it was all negative. Yeah, and uh, and there was a bottle of Dom Perignon, which was great. You know, an yeah. alcoholic. And I had all, and, and and the car was running because I saw it outside the window. Yeah. Uh, big white stretch, you know, real grandiose bullshit. So uh, I read this note, and it was really it was from the owner's son. Anyway, the son said, "You can't be all things to all people," and that meant a lot to me because, you know, he was a huge fan, and obviously these people could care less about what I had to say. They weren't my market, target market. Four-year-old kids running around or breastfeeding or throwing yeah. pineapple at each other's necks like Aborigines. You know, right. with boomerangs. Yeah. So, you know, I, I realized that they were right. I mean, I got hammered on the way home, and I kept flaunting the check real grand. In <laughs> yeah, a grand yeah. deal. Look what I just made for yeah, doing nothing. Yeah. But it hurt, right? Oh, it's horrible. It's the worst. It's the worst fucking feeling. But that was, oh, but dig this. So Peter Allen, a friend of mine was there. I don't know why he went there for singles weekend if my uncle was there at 70. <laughs> what, what was he even thinking? <laughs> Peter, but he was, he's gay too, I, right? I, yeah, he was gay. He was gay. He was, yeah. he's, a, he's a dead gay man. Yeah. Nice guy, talented guy, but he goes on stage, my friend says, the next night and goes, boy, I hope I do better than Richard Lewis. And uh -huh. I, I heard that. I went, that son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the fucking arts. It's, yeah. a, it's murderously hard. All I ever wanted to do was pay the bills. Uh, and and be fun, and right and do be a humorist and that's what all I've been doing. So were you able to let that anger go? No, <laughs> I, it was seething. I almost became homophobic. I mean, I'm a liberal. You know, I I almost like started building devices and to throw them, toss them into gay pride parades. I got nuts. But I uh, so what happened was I was at the Four Seasons. I had to go to hotels in Hollywood and look, bring notes with me. Yeah. Before a tour, just look at thousands of new premises. You actually check into a room to prepare. No, that... I go in the lobbies. Oh, off, and you just sit hours. there. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Actually, why is that funny? What? I, oh, I'm sorry. No, no. I want to know why, Mark. Seriously. Because you is could go weird? anywhere. There's a coffee shop. Well, my house is only you know. You can walk to the Four Seasons. I don't like coffee. I like I know. I like five star hotel lobbies. And you just sit there. Why should I go leave my home? I, I'm not going to. Which was built in the 20s, it, which is a gorgeous house. It almost looks like a Frank Lloyd Wright. It's not. I yeah. wish it was. And to go to like a, you know, a motel lobby. So I, you know, might as well go to like the Chateau Marmont or the Peninsula, right. or, you know, or the Four Seasons. So you don't go or you do? I do. All right. Like three, four times. Well, yeah, don't yell at me. Yell no, at me. No, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just trying to engage. No, I like you. I like you too. But you engage in a way like, you know, that could provoke an argument. Is that unfamiliar to you? No, I, I have an argument. 
even with insects. <laughs> what? The, how does that go? You think you're better than me? Well, I. <laughs> Well, that's very funny. <laughs> no, I crushed the praying mantis ones. Oh, Actually, God. I sliced them in half. I, I'm frightened of them. And then the other... You know, it's illegal, I think, in New Jersey. I don't give a fuck. All right, you're a fucking rebel. You're killing prey mantises everywhere. Let me tell you something. What? I'm a mantis killer. I hear that. Because those... Anyway, I saw Peter <laughs> Allen. Yeah. And I said, can I, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah. And he said, he said, Richard, Richard. I don't mean to do a gay voice right now. It's all right. It wasn't says, barely. It was sort of... Uh, go ahead. I don't do impressions. All right, so I'm not does, asking you what to. What did it sound like? like Hal Linden? Uh, maybe. I mean, I, I would... Uh, no. What's this? Elton John? No, I it just sounded like a, a, a guy going like, Richard, Richard. Yeah, like a guy in third grade. Let's play volleyball. Yeah, you, you didn't I go, know. Richard. Oh, yeah, that would have been... Yeah. I, didn't wanna, I didn't wanna do it right on. Is that on. how he sounded? That? How I, don't, sound? I don't wanna get into any... You know, <laughs> you know, by doing a gay voice, if some people might... Yeah, anyway, right. look, we're yeah, getting look. way off the subject we because are. of you. Okay. Go ahead. So, so it's can, not my fault. So yeah. I wanted an apology. And I said, you know, I've been doing this for the time, 30 years. And I said, I had just sold out Carnegie Hall. I got two standing ovations. I foolishly did something I never do. It's something that I don't feel is right for me for the money. And, and I did it. And I got, and I paid the price. It was a humiliating hour. Yeah. I don't need another fucking artist to step on me the next night. Just do your show. Right. Do your fucking show. Yeah. Why the fuck should you put me down? Yeah. And then he became like screamingly apologetic in a way that was, he almost got tossed out of the lobby. It was, did, he, did he start playing piano in the No, he started, singing almost started playing me. Yeah. <laughs> so he uh, he got on his knees and oh. was apologizing. Oh yeah. my God, you're right. I was wrong. And so, but he was sweet about it. Yeah. You know, I got an apology. You know, I, you know, hanging on to resentments are really bad in this business because we're fucked over by so many people in the business end, um, you know. Well, it's I'm, hard to it, it's hard to understand that, you, and I and I look to you for this because I do uh, look you uh, respect you and everything. But you know, when you are a unique performer and you are a, an authentic voice, and and that is what you do, you, you're yeah. you're it's it, some people don't understand, We're and then. Good. And then some people, uh, you know, take advantage. But but it's very hard to get our needs met when we're, you know, when we're as crazy as we are. That and was your telephone, right? I'm turning it off. That yeah. was so fucking rude. I, I didn't mean to. I turned my phone off miles before we hit the house to remind myself. And it's your show. It's all a plan. You're so a popular yeah, show. But well, you're I, right. No, you're right. What was your what's your no, point? No, my my point is is that it, it's it's hard not to be filled with resentment because uh, on some level we think that Hollywood is our parents or no, our friends yeah, right. or, or that you know we're yeah, entitled to something and no. and, and then uh, but you seem uh, remarkably uh, you know well adjusted for you lately. Well, let me put it this way. You know, uh, honestly, yeah. I, you know, I had written a book about a decade ago, uh, about seven years into my sobriety, because I wanted to tell the truth because I felt. If, if I couldn't, if anything, if I had any gift other than try, uh, a way to make people laugh is that I was the same guy on stage I was uh, off. I yeah. thought that was sort of cool. Yeah. And I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't actually think it was cool. It just turned out that way. But that's the way you wanted it to be. Your journey was to be true to yourself, I, I, right? True to myself, but right. I didn't think that by me going on stage and talking about an, a rash on my ass, which was there, yeah. would be funny. Because <laughs> I would do it on Letterman. If I wake up and I had a rash in my ass, I'd, I'd come right, you know, I didn't give a shit what they wanted me to, you know, what are you going to talk about? I would say, uh, shirts, God, Hawaii, uh, hello, goodbye, and the shelves. <laughs> Don't ask me. 
but see, they had to write. They have to write notes down. Now yeah. I, I have so much. They're all so afraid of me. Because they have segment producers. I used to work with the same guy, Conan, as you did with Frank Smiley. Oh, God. I know Frank forever. I, Frank, I had to take Frank by the neck, like the scruff of his neck. Yeah. And drag him before my uh, one of my shots with Conan. Yeah. And said, look, Conan. I said, I've been doing this for almost 40 years. I said, Frank called me at midnight on the road. He says, what are some of the things you're going to talk about? <laughs> well, let's hear a few. I go, fuck you. I mean, I like Frank. Yeah, we're not, you know, we don't see each other a lot, right? But he's like very cynical sometimes, and in, in a funny way. But still, I said, I'm not telling you. I don't want to, You're not my audience. It's you're just one person. I said, if I can't be trusted, I, you know, I said I just did three shows in four days. I got two standing ovations. I'll do some of that shit if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> I said, but I'm not going to perform. In the, I was in the middle of Wisconsin. It was ten below zero. And I got Frank Smiley by a fire in Manhattan, going. So what are you going to what are you going to talk about? And I went I went ballistic on him. Yeah. And then did he go? What else you got? <laughs> yeah, well, he's funny. He's funny, Frank. He's really funny. He's a nice guy too. It's a risk. But so yeah, I, I yeah. so before. So before I went on this, I, I was on. Yeah. And between breaks, I, I signaled to the exec producer, Conan. This is when he was still with NBC. And, and I said, come over here a minute. I said, look, if you want me to do this show, and I was very supportive to the guy when he was getting creamed in 94. I was, I was just sober and I was in this kind of bubble and I couldn't do enough for people. And I, and I called the guy. I said, hey, man, fuck the critics and just find your, your style and... And if it's, yeah. nice, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. But right. Don't listen to all this bullshit. So, you know, and he's been good to me, Conan. They're very fair. But, you know, he still ha in in engages in these segment producers. I said, look, I could understand if it's some, some actor or actress from a soap opera. Yeah. And you go, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I, I think I saw a picture of Christ on a stapler. Yeah. Well, then, all right, all right, so we'll open up with the staple of Christ. That I understand. I right. said, but I might make that up on while I'm sitting there. Right. And I don't want to be, I can't be in jail. Yeah. Because Frank Smiley called me on the road and traced me down at midnight. What am I going to talk about? I, 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 I threw the phone out of the fucking 12-story window. So I, I grabbed them over and I in front of the exec producer and Conan. I said, if you want me to do this show, I said, I'll... I'm telling you, ask me what I'm going to do next time. Uh, spirituality, alcoholism, uh, divorces, fear of intimacy. Is that enough? Because I could talk for like 18 days on each one. And I promise you that a lot of the stuff is done. I've done on stage. Yeah. And I've never, I'll never repeat anything on your show that I've done anywhere. So I cannot do, I will never give you any answers anymore. And they, and they don't ask me anymore. Did you do that with Letterman too at the beginning? I do it now with everybody. Right? I don't do but the from show. the beginning, oh, you have to when you're a kid. You, right, you had to do what they. You had to give them what you were going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. But then, but what I would do is that I. You can. It's actually your life. So when you get up there, you know, you could piss them off. Mm -hmm. um, because I understand this. I mean, look, you go, and then there's another. There's like you know, 18 guests a week. I get it. Right. You're just another day at work. I, I learned a lot. Of, yeah. I, I learned a lot of valuable lessons doing these shows. I once early in the 80s, it was I did more Letterman's than almost anybody. 
And, and I'm I actually the panel guest. You were the guy that was like, I always look forward to you sitting down. Sitting that to down. me was a respectable thing. Yeah, well, and Letterman was the guy who told me you'll never do stand up on my show. You're much better on a panel. You're too you're too physical. Right, and, and he, you engage too. You know, he, he yeah, can you know, move you along. And because of him, it set a precedent for yeah. me back in '82. And I've never, even without a series, uh, I said, no, Lewis doesn't do stand up. If you want him, he just sits down and squirms in his seat. Right. And that's because of Dave. That was a great thing. But um, two things. Letterman. Yeah. Letterman really gave me my first re real break. Yeah. And because uh, I was on like every six weeks for years. And, you know, I had endless amounts of material. So that wasn't a problem. And the thing is, uh, once I was talking about Hawaii, and I said to the woman during the day, all right, he can ask me. I understand you were in Hawaii. I said, the whole thing is so fraudulent to me. Right. It just sounds fake. You mean when you when you're talking to a segment producer? Yeah, I said, "What, right? Karnak? Yeah, you were in Maui. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You fucking know. It's not a real question. No, but he, you know, he, yeah. Dave, you know, they they're they're great at what they do, but still, I, I to me it was it was a fake. But here's that's but that's but that's what happens all the time anyway when they have these categories on paper. So he says, "I understand you're in Hawaii," and I cringed when I heard that. Yeah, but look, it's a, you know I get it. <laughs> Show business. Yeah, show business. <laughs> so I start doing stuff about Hawaii. Right. I had a, and I wrote thousands of premises, not thousands, hundreds, in that week. Yeah. So, in the during the taping, yeah. Dave said, who truly has been incredibly uh, supportive to me for you know forty years, uh, thirty-five years or so. Yeah. He said on the air, "Oh, I guess this is your Maui hunk." And I went fucking nuts. It took away all of the, uh, re, you know, like it broke the fourth wall. Yeah. It, it made me feel like I was just doing like my bar mitzvah speech. But it's also sandbagged you in a little bit because you were you you were against that anyways, and all of a sudden he put that on you. And, well, and, I don't, you know, I don't know if he did it just it, it snuck out or I don't. I, he's probably know, being, trying to be funny. He was probably trying yeah. to be funny, but I went crazy. What happened? I went nuts in the dressing room. I didn't give a shit anymore about the show. I didn't, and it was so important to me that show. I lived for that show. Were you drunk? No. Is it sober? Well, I don't remember. I mean, there was sometimes I might have been a little high, yeah. but I, I never, I never stumbled into it. And what happened to because of that? Well, he heard me screaming and yelling. I yeah. get to my hotel room, and you know he's a pretty reclusive guy. Yeah. And he wants to be obviously, and. Um, I get a call at the hotel. Dave wants you to come over too. You know, you know after their little rehearsals. Yeah, and I went fine. I figured it was it. Like, hey, how dare you and right. fuck you and right. scream? I don't scream. My my crew is there and right. And it was just the opposite. He says, "Boy, that was the most unfair comment to make to another comedian." To, to all of a sudden, I was billboarding the fact that you had material right on Maui, and I asked you about it, and then I. Like you said, I did feel sandbagged. Yeah. So that was pretty cool of him. Yeah. And on Carson, you had to do five minutes and like 31 and a half seconds. It was like psychotic. <laughs> it's, four, it's four minutes and 15 now. Is that what it is? On Ferguson, anyways. I dig this, Mark. I had this routine for like 10 years. And yeah. I loved getting them on the show and then throwing them out. Yeah. It's best, you know, unless I was yeah. in a place where I... The audience snuck. I just wanted to get off stage. And right. So I did this routine on the division of motor vehicles, and it really was a strong routine. It was about seven minutes long. Yeah. So I cut it down to about six and a half minutes, 
And I remember the week because Rodney was in town and, you know, we both drank and did drugs and we loved women and, and we just went crazy. And You and Rodney? Oh, yeah. Whenever yeah. we could, you know. Yeah. And he was really very supportive of me. And Anyway. Uh, Sweet guy I, in his way, right? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. The, dark, the darkest guy I've ever known, practically. Yeah. You know, he's he was so miserable. Unbelievably miserable. Ugh. What he used to call the whole, what, what the humanity was, the... Uh, not the dark, maybe the darkness. The, uh, the oh, hey, I'll tell you the heaviness. You yeah, know, the it's heaviness. getting the yeah, it's getting yeah, the heaviness. That's good. Very upsetting. Yeah. So I walk in. I had written about this. So I'll make it brief. I walked in. They were changing shows. All I wanted to do was my two monologues. I told at the time Bud Freeman, who was running the joints. Mm -hmm. I said, "Look, Bud, I just want to do my monologue and get out. I'll do both shows." He says, "Fine." Um, so I I see Rodney. And he sees me. I said, oh, shit, I'm cooked, man. Yeah. Because I usually used to stay around, close the place, look for women, drink, hear rock and roll. And Where was this? Anywhere? Anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, was... certainly at a comedy club. Yeah. And I was making some sort of name for myself, so it was easy to meet women and all that shit. So, yeah. So I see Rodney, and he says, hey, hey, Richard, you'll come with, you'll come sit with me, huh, after you're set. I don't do impressions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, that was closer to Rodney than, say, like, Dick Van Dyke, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was good, yeah. Good. So, uh, don't lie to me. No, I'm serious. I got it. It had the, it had the feel of Rodney. Hey, huh? Yeah, hey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an attitude. So, yeah. I said, Rodney, I feel, I can't. I, I said, I, had, I just wanted to go home and hear the tape and time it. It's all I cared about. For Carson. Yeah, I mean, that Carson, because David Brennan once told me when I was 23, he says, for one five-minute spot on Carson is like doing a, the improv Every night, full house, three shows a night for like, he had it all figured out, like yeah. 18 years. <laughs> he had the math done, yeah. Yeah, he had the, yeah, he was a maniac. Like that. So I, I, 18 years is it's right. Yeah. So you better not walk through any of this shit. Yeah, yeah. And when I see younger comics, I go, whether it's radio or whatever, I know if I sound like an old full guy, I don't give a shit. I think it's good advice. You, you, don't have, you never know who's listening. Right. And, um, and once you don't take your art seriously and passionately, You'll, you'll never be as good as you you can be, and then you're going to burn a lot of bridges. So, I believe that. So, and you learned that from experience. Well, I just Did I just had good mentoring oh, early yeah. on. You didn't burn bridges ever. No, no, that's I, I good. Mean, I, there were some people that you know I was you know there's there's been a few places you know yeah perhaps I couldn't be on because they didn't like me. I like when people I used to always Cassavetes. I'm a big you know huge fan and. He used to see a screening, and if the audience liked it, he would make it. He would go back and, and fuck make it, it up, some fuck it up, so they wouldn't like it. I love that. <laughs> he wanted people to be annoyed. Yeah, and I never want you know wants to be Bob Hope for Christ's sake. Absolutely. Know? All right, so, so Rodney so, pulls so, you over. So no, he didn't. So I say I lied. I went Rodney. I feel like shit, man. Yeah. And Rodney said, "Hey, great, you're halfway there, huh?" <laughs> and when he said you're halfway there, I froze. I mean, to me that was, and I said, "I'm done. I'm done." Yeah. I said, "I'll be right. I'll be. I mean, just do my monologue. I'll be there." Yeah. And, we, and we closed the place down, like, as usual. But here's the thing: I had this monologue. Seven minutes. Not even five something. But that's how long yours was. You had to cut it down. Yeah. Well, it was, yeah. yeah. I had to cut it down from the club version. Right. <clears throat> so I go on stage, and and the and you know, I, the, God, it was such torment. People you have to should know. It's like first getting it and then honing it and doing it for years and and I, I don't work that way anymore I haven't for decades now I just free associate half you know half the shows and I, it's more like improv I just I can't take it anymore 
And you, know, you can't ha- take structure. I don't have an act. Right. I, I just don't have, I never, I really don't have an act. I have literally 1,500 pages of premises and I, and I scroll them and I print out the last year's and I bring it on the road with me, and I try to remember some of it. And, and the yellow notebooks. I saw you at the bottom line, yeah, no probably more, late, no more late notes. 80s. No more notes. No more yellow notebooks? Not for a decade, I never, and it's never been better. So dig this, so I, I'm, on, I'm on the show, Lady yeah. John Richard Lewis. This is before I had a sitcom, so I had to do stand-up. And um, I go on there, and, and I'm destroying this Burbank, which is known for, notorious, for being pretty square and, yeah. and not an easy audience, right? And my lack of experience made me play it more like a nightclub room than a, than the camera. It's really the camera that matters. When that red thing that yeah. goes red, that's in the bedroom yeah. of millions of people. Forget you were aware of that. Well, at I, that time? I was not as much as I should have been, uh-huh. because I got too physical and I was yeah. like trying to, you know, playing the front row as if they were ordering two whiskey sours. Yeah. But I learned fa- young enough that I didn't burn any, any of those bridges. But the, 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 the thing about this was it was so amazingly frightening uh, was that midway through the monologue, and I was so in heaven, I, I'm killing. Yeah. This is maybe the strongest shot I've seen anyone do. Right. And you know, you're, you're an unbelievable comedian. You would know when there's laughs, you wait till they peak and then you, yeah. you move on. Yeah. So I did that. I waited. And then all of a sudden, underneath the camera, a, a technician comes, the stage manager, gave me the wrap it up sign. I went, wrap it up? I'm, ha- I'm halfway through. It would make no sense. Right. If I said goodnight right yeah. now, I never, I never would get the show again. So you're getting too many laughs. And the applause. Yeah. So I had to make a decision. If I never get the show again, which I wouldn't, I said, if I, if I didn't get off, I'd have to say I was too good. And I could live with that. Yeah, I was yeah. too funny. Yeah. That I could live with. Right. But um, I get off stage and uh, the talent coordinator went fucking nuts and the agents were with me and they were sort of cluelessly funny. They went, hey, you did two shows in one. I said, no, you don't understand. That's the fucking reason I'm not coming back, you mental cases. I'm done. Yeah. This guy's screaming at me. Carson is going to go, is going to be livid after the meeting. So I get, I had a date. I was dating, well, I dated a lot of waitresses, but um, slash actresses. and. um, who so, are now massage therapists or Christians. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, I don't care anymore what anyone does. I just hope they don't have a painful death. Yeah. But at any rate... Or um, your child. Yeah, no, that's not happening. <laughs> okay. I'm married now, but I, I had a five-year window, but I didn't want to have... I, I can't... I mean, yeah. you, know, you don't know me. We don't hang out that much, but my child would be in... Yeah. Would have you, horrible. you can't... Bat, you have a, a neediness battle. Oh, my God, <laughs> You'd be sucking my thumb, yeah, his yeah, thumb, yeah, my yeah, uncle's yeah. thumb. Why are you crying? Daddy's hurting. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's right. You care more about me. I have a temperature. Let me. Yeah. Let me take your temperature, Richard. Yeah. Even you call me Richard. Yeah, Don't yeah. call me Dad. Yeah. So, Makes me uncomfortable. So I, I get off stage yeah. and I go to the Palm, which I always used to love. There used to be a great, a legendary uh, guy named Gigi. He was the uh, ran mm. it. He's dead now. And mm-hmm. He was the greatest. And I went there with the two managers, a date, nice woman. And I was crestfallen because I went, you know, in an, in an hour and a half, you, you close your eyes and you go, you see all the apartment houses on the East Coast, lights will go on in a bedroom and there you are. Yeah. You know, different apartment houses. Yeah. How many on, in this apartment are going to see me? How many in this? I mean, yeah, I said, yeah. trip on that. Yeah. But I said, they're going to see me destroy. You know, I, I didn't think that they could edit. I forgot about that aspect sure. of it. 
So I, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, 10 feet away is Carson, in, yeah. still in his makeup like I was. The odds that he was at the table next to me, you know, was a billion to one shot. Sure, he would have went home maybe. Anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I bolt over like Jack Ruby, yeah. ready to shoot him in the head. <laughs> yeah. And I got on my knees. He was there with his lawyer. The, you know, like a Jack kid. Ruby that just wanted attention, didn't want to kill a president. Well, I, well, I, just, well I just went up. Well, yeah. that's a way of looking at it. But I, to me, I felt like I was... The way it looked, it looked like I was going to assassinate him. What were you? What was the first thing in your head? Like I got to apologize. That's it. Right. That's it. And I said, "Look, Johnny," because I had done the show. I said, yeah. "Johnny, look, I did this monologue for ten years. I couldn't wait to get it over with. It killed. You were there." Yeah. I said, "The guy wanted me to to get off." I said, "I didn't want Johnny Carson to think I didn't know what I was doing." Right. I said, "So I I made an I I called an automatic. And yeah. I did the whole routine." I know it went twice as long, but I'd rather you know that I know what I'm doing and never do the show again than to say, what the fuck was that all about? It made no sense to me. And the next day I got a call from the talent coordinator and said, you're a lucky man that you ran into him. Because had I not, he might, I would have had to have crashed a lot, maybe never gotten in. Anything. What did he say to you? He didn't say much. He was scared. I was like, you know. Panicked. I looked like a guy yeah, who was yeah. going to kill him. Yeah. Because I, my eyes were like a like a... Coyotes, and he just said, uh, "He says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Something to that effect." Uh -huh. And and uh, so he let me, and I never looked back. So if you don't mind, because I I, I don't mind about anything. Why, right. you want me to leave? No, no. I I identify with this transition you made. That you, you okay? I think it's interesting that you started doing comedy right after your father's death. You know, to sort of you know uh, fill you, the void. Yeah, fill the void. I'm sorry, I mean to speak for you. That's all right. And then you, you developed this style, which was which was your style. You did create a voice through written material, but then all of a sudden you detached from the material because I find that that the idea of being exactly the same on and off stage is is very compelling, and that there's no distance between who you are on stage. I or like off stage. that, and it, because it's emotionally satisfying, you don't feel like you're being a fraud, right? Right. And you feel like you have a connection to the people that are there. Now, one thing I've said about you uh, is that um, do you think there, there are moments where do you feel like you're healthier now? I mean, mentally, I mean, do you think that, you know, something has has over the time that you've been expressing yourself yeah. that you've gotten uh, any sort of shit together? Not much. Really? Why, why do you think that is? Is that something you commit to or do you think it's something that just is the way it is? Well, first of all, I got married in my at 57, yeah. I met a woman 13 years ago, and she's she's great. But I I found somebody who has a point of view other than my own. Yeah, and so, you can't you can't and, and bully I'm her. an addict. So yeah. I either was an addict for those who don't know, uh, and this is a, you know buzzword crap. But it's like we're very grandiose. We want what we want. We want it. And then the flip side that can happen instantaneously is that we feel that we're worthless. Right. So I either was with women, and I was no you know, easy package, but I was either with slaves, basically. Like, you're going to watch every Kubrick film this week or it's over. I mean, right. it was that, that controlling. Right. Okay. That, I, I, doing I guess that's better than hitting them, is <laughs> forcing them yeah. to sit through eyes wide shut, even though you might not even like it that much. I didn't like it <laughs> as much as I wanted to. Well, he died before he finished it. Maybe he would have saved it. Yeah. But... Um, or, or I yeah. would be with the worst women on the planet who and tortured me. And just fight constantly? Fighting and just sabotaging me and yeah. fucking me around and using me yeah. and for my connections. Yeah. And, 
So I, there was nothing. So I found somebody. I had one or two really good women in my life, but I wasn't ready. I was a drunk anyway, an active drunk. So, but when I sobered up, I met Joyce, and um, you know, uh, about twelve years ago, and um, you know, but she is, you know, a, you know, she has a point of view, and it's still hard to. I mean, I did get help from my therapist, but I mean. And being so, but it had us. It had us. First, I had to stop drinking and doing those, those kind of recreational drugs. I'd where I'd be dead. But so that's that's important. Meds, everything, anything that would get me high. Do do you do any meds? Meds? Yeah, med, I mean, are if, you if, a, if I go to antidepressants a or something? No, no. I was they wanted me to. I couldn't do. I didn't want to do it on principle. No, I didn't want my brain to be messed with. I wanted right. to. Yeah, it was a more of a, a dumb creative theory that I wouldn't come up with certain thoughts right. if I was middled out and calmer. No, I, I'm, I, I agree with you. I'm the same way. I won't really? do it. Yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, I, I have this weird persistence, and maybe it's a grandiosity that you know through behavior we can uh, you know, change our actions a little bit. You know, acting right. as if and you know what all that shit. Right, yeah, right. No, I agree with you. That you, we can change the way we think and not uh, deaden part of our brain. Right. I mean, if I'm going to be an asshole, you know, and I, I can just try to do another, take another action. Right, and, right. And rather than take a pill. So you found a woman that somehow... Uh, got me and yeah. understood. Yeah, she got me. She's not an addict, but she was in the record business a long time. Now she's in she's in a great charity, Urban yeah. Farming. Yeah. .org, I might add. It's yeah. a great site. And it, they feed, they grow food in the inner cities for, for the homeless. Do you farm? Not only do I not farm... <laughs> I can't even watch farm documentaries. <laughs> and I've never put gas in my car as long. I've never put gas in my car or changed a tire. Yeah. You didn't drive over here. You don't like to drive, right? No, I hate driving. <laughs> but I've never, I don't know how to change a tire. And Come I, on. No, I don't. Why? But that's a decision, right? You could learn. I no. could take you. You want me to teach you? No. It would take two minutes. It's not because I died. Lewis died without changing a tire. Or Lewis died yeah. without filling up his. I go to a gas station near me, and it's yeah. it's not it's not full service anymore, except for me. Yeah. <laughs> You're the guy. I'm the guy, have, I'm like Elvis. I tip uh, the guy twenty dollars. He does they, everything. They open the garage for you. We don't use this anymore, but let's get it up on the lift. Yeah, when yeah. I drive in there, it has the car. I don't know. All right, we'll we'll put it up. <laughs> go to Greenblatt's and have. We'll come back in three hours. Because there's part of me that thinks, like with guys like us, and I'm going to compare myself to you, not comedically, obviously, no, but just whatever you want. But just in a, in a sort of neurotic, compulsive, addictive, uh, self-involved way. Yeah. That like I thanks. Yeah, is that, but isn't that the Maybe name I'll of your new one-man show? I think I might add that <laughs> to my bio. I thought that was in your bio. Self <laughs> <laughs> well, our bios are now interchangeable. Apparently. Yeah. No, but like no, I, I, there was a part of me that thought when Prozac became popular that somehow or another guys like us were going to be moved out of the way no because people way. people are going to be like, isn't there medicine for his comedy? <laughs> <laughs> Can he feel better? But but you do, I think, feel better. I think age sometimes does that a bit, and what? Yeah, no, age for sure. I mean, I'm scared now of dying. I never thought I would be. I'm not a religious guy. I'm more of a spiritual guy. What does I, that mean? I'm afraid I could drop dead here. Well, that might that happen, but I, you know we'd handle it. <laughs> I'd, I'd make sure everything was taken care of. Would you consider this dying on stage? No, I thought that if you dropped dead, I would uh, go tell your driver that we've got a problem. Call my wife. And I'd call your wife. I'd go through your pockets. And, and say Richard's dead. And, and say Richard's dead. And then I'd, I'd probably detach from it after that. Then it's not my problem. No, you'd find my wallet. What? Picture of you and Donna Reed. <laughs> How'd you get that picture? 
So, uh, but it, what, well, no, they're separate. Tom <laughs> Reed and you. <laughs> okay, all right. So spirituality—that means you just have a you know a sense that you're not alone, or what? Yeah, I used to come back. I lived with this really great woman in the middle ages. I was a really horrible drunk, and I'd come home after embarrassing her and myself and ruining the night. Yeah, and I would look in the mirror and I'd say, "Richard, I'd pray to myself." Yeah, I go, "I'm praying to myself." Yeah. <laughs> who I, look, who, how am I? How can I pray to me? It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, and. Um, I remember they wanted to take me to rehab, and um, they did. And so I, I walk in there with an ex-girlfriend and uh, who's taking me to a rehab in Hazelden, which I bolted from, and I still had two more days. Isn't that in, like, could, Minnesota or yeah, something? Yeah, it is. Yeah. To see if I could kill myself two more times. And this, and this it's always just booze or blow, too? Well, crystal meth was, at the end, a lot of that. Man, that's a, I can't even yeah. imagine you on meth. Three days into that? Did you, I imagine that... Six uh, days, I was like... Howard Hughes as a rabbi. So that must have been a lot of been a lot of notebooks then, huh? Oh, you should see me trying to stay on a lot of hanging pictures. <laughs> it was like a Laurel and Hardy movie. Hey, you what, you would stay up hanging pictures? Yeah, I, totally loaded. <laughs> I mean, I got a million horror stories, but we don't want to do drug horror stories. Do we? I just you on meth is just beautiful. I can't even. Well, the uh, best meth story that I that I have. Was, yeah. Uh, two. One was. Uh, Loaded and breaking down, uh, who's a friend of mine. Uh, well, I'll call him a good acquaintance. Yeah. Who let me use a quote of his in a book I wrote years ago, and which I believe in this quote. Uh, it's a lyric from Springsteen. It's a sad man, my friend, who's living in his own. Uh, it's a sad man, my friend, who's living in his own skin, but can't stand the company. <laughs> and that's who I was. Right. And that's who. That's what every drunk is. So, what was the worth mess thing? That well, means? well, Bruce. Yeah. I had never met him. I knew yeah. the band. Some of the guys even opened up for me. Yeah, and um, and I and it was very tight with the E Street Band. Yeah, but Bruce, I, I had never met even. So the cops, they all they all knew I was loaded. They you know they where was this? The, the Meadowlands. Okay, you were hanging out backstage. No, I it wasn't that close with Bruce. I didn't. I just went with a model and four friends and their dates and good seats watching the show. Great seats and. Um, I forced myself down into the bowels of the Meadowland. Yeah. Because all I really wanted to say, yeah. basically, was Woody Guthrie, Bob Dylan, and now you. Yeah. That, that was it. It yeah. was some grand, and, super little. You've been planning it for like an hour to say I, that? An hour since Kennedy was assassinated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know Springsteen was born. <laughs> That's a your no, prophet. I could have written him a note. I could have gotten into yeah. the any any yeah. number of yeah. guys who I know. Yeah. Niels Lofgren's a great anybody. Yeah. So, but I didn't. I chose to bang on the door, and the cops are going, "Richard, please, we'll take you to your seat." They were really trying to save my ass. Uh, but I, I said, "No, no, no!" I was high. I mean, I couldn't hear anything. Yeah. Like, so he, Bruce comes out, and it, this was his like workout phase. You know, yeah, he like big, a yeah, yeah, big guy. Yeah, little guy, but muscular. Yeah, and and I said, and you know, I was out of my mind high, and I and I said, Woody Guthrie, Bob, and you. And he looked at me, and he nodded his head, and turned around and went inside. Okay, <laughs> now he could have floored me. Yeah, I mean, the guy hadn't performed in four years. <laughs> yeah. 20,000 people, you can hear them going, Bruce, Bruce. Yeah. And here I am breaking up the band meeting the first night <laughs> so on the road. Bumble. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that was pretty bad. That was really yeah. bad. And yeah. then I got the next day in the all over the New York papers, Drunken Lewis, 
this, drunken Lewis that. Was there more to the story? Well, I did. I went to a Nick game and I was drunk during the post game interview. Yeah. Then I ran over running. I ran over to, to Connie Chung and was starting asking, interviewing her on Marlon Brando for no reason. <laughs> in, in the middle of a Nick game. Was that a big idea you had too? No, I was drunk. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. I was gone. No, but the other the crystal meth thing. Yeah. I have. I'm, I'm name dropping, but you know why? It doesn't matter anymore because I don't give a shit. I happen to know a lot of celebrities. Yeah. I'm really good, for, and I'm an art collector. Yeah. So uh, I have I bought a lot of art, Ronnie Wood stuff. I like Ronnie Wood, and he's a sweet guy. I know him for about 25 years, and um, so it, long story short, um, Ronnie says I'm going out uh, to dinner tonight with with Rod Stewart and his probably his third wife, uh, yeah, fifteenth wife, I yeah. don't know. and our, his manager of mine, no long whatever, it was yeah. like six, and I I was dating this 23 year old. Drop dead killer, smart model. Yeah, sweet. Although she was into ecstasy and that kind of shit. Yeah. I always remember. You're so much nicer on ecstasy. Why drink? <laughs> yeah. You know that was that was. I mean, yeah. look, she but she didn't know any better. Yeah. She should have just thrown me into a fucking you know lockup place. But that wasn't her responsibility. But at any rate, we're sitting there, and I said the only way I'll go is if you call your d dealer. Who had to drive like a ninety miles and meet me in, at the bar of this restaurant with like, like three grams of crystal meth? That was a lot. Yeah. Well, I was going to save some. I yeah. thought. Oh God. I she she sees him an hour later. I go into the uh, bar. I give the guy his bread. I go downstairs to this restaurant on the strip, famous restaurant. Uh, in fact, it's no longer there. It was La Dome. And um, and I never come out. I never come out. I, f I lose all sense of time. And I come up. They're all done with their dinner. I didn't spend any time with them talking. They were so angry. I mean, it's funny because, you know, Rod and those guys are in and out of stuff. And, yeah. they, they, you know, and I think Rod just drinks. And I don't know if he has a problem. I doubt it. But, but you know, Ronnie yeah. is very publicized. Yeah. And I've been trying to help him forever. And he helps me too. But the truth is, the model was this real... She was so gorgeous and so tough in a lot of ways. She was just sitting cross-legged like a hippie at Woodstock eating a veal chop. Yeah. No, they wouldn't give her a chair. Because <laughs> yeah. she did a little crystal meth too, so she uh, was a little loaded. So you left the girl with the guys and you went and disappeared. Yeah, to disappeared do for two crank. hours. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, a, yeah that's a big faux yeah, pas. That's a faux pas. Yeah. <laughs> that's bad. And the last one is a couple months ago, a year ago actually, in Burbank, I ran to this beautiful woman who yeah. looked familiar, vaguely yeah. familiar. And uh, we started talking, and she had a little girl with her. She says, you know, Richard, you were the last drunk I ever went out with. I went, thank you. It was very lovely. And you remember her? No. Four months, this woman, lovely woman actress, was my girlfriend for four months, and I had an entire blackout for the entire dating time. Well, that makes things interesting as you get older, people showing up going, do you remember? And you're like, oh, Well, you don't know, though. Yeah, that's that's no scary. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. your grandfather. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're 10 years old, more. <laughs> That doesn't happen. Yeah. Huh? But so we got into the drug stuff. So, uh, well, okay. Uh, you know, I just read an article on uh, on Shecky Green. Did you ever uh, like in in your past? Because you know, I'm not going to say you're, you're you're older, but it seems I am to me 63. But you honor the the legacy of, of great Jewish comedy. I and love you, those guys. And you're right. And you know, I, and I I told you I interviewed Jonathan Winters, and you love him. He's like one of my best friends. I talk to him every day for the last six years. Oh, you do. And that's I go, a, that's and I go up and visit. That's him. sweet. You no, know why? Because I remember as a kid hearing how Dick Van Dyke and others 
would pay homage to Stan Laurel, had this very modest one-bedroom apartment in Santa Monica. Stan fucking Laurel. It doesn't get much better than that guy. And they go visit him and stuff? Yeah, always. So when I became closer to Jonathan, I wanted to be like, I just wanted to be like his like standing room only audience friend for his riffs. Let him just riff It's amazing, me. right? He's he's Picasso to me. Yeah. This guy. I mean, he's different than Lenny and Pryor. And Did you ever see Lenny? No, I was too young. Yeah. How about well, Richard? You probably yeah, knew. Yeah, Richard I knew and because saw. Because well, you were at the comedy store, right? Well, uh, mainly the improv, but okay. he worked out mainly uh, the comedy store. But I saw him in New York. Yeah, when in New York, I saw him in town hall. I saw him in clubs. Um, yeah, were you I, friends with him? Not great friends. We never we socialized together. But he respected me, though I think, and um, I think arguably he's the greatest because not only does I, he tell I the feel truth, the same way, yeah, but he has more weapons. Not only did voices and characters, which is always yeah, it's not an easy out, but it's it, it's it's fun. Yeah. I mean, I do know, but he was talked about himself. He was the same on and off stage, tragically, and um, and he was just drop dead funny. You know, you can't get much funnier and more provocative than that guy. And uh, and Lenny opened the door for him. Yeah, well, Lenny sort of created the template for us. Yeah, yeah, for it's us. very interesting. You listen to those old Richard Pryor albums; he almost sounds Jewish. Like well, when he when well, he first the older got ones like Cosby almost. Well, well, they, well, he start he sounded like Cosby, but once he started to talk about real shit, it was almost as if he took the Lenny Bruce system and applied it to how he was going to approach comedy. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. It's interesting. And free association. What about, so, what, where does Woody Allen stand in the Richard Lewis? Uh, well, uh, Woody Allen, first of all, you know, a lot of these guys, like Larry David, who who no one knew was a great comedian, Albert Brooks, we, you know. Albert's so good. I wish he would come on the show. Yeah, he's he's a afraid genius, of it Albert, or something. And, and his book's terrific, too. But the truth of the matter is these guys all quit. Well, Larry in his 30s, Albert and Woody in their 20s. Quit doing stand-up. Yeah. So, you know... You know, I'm not, it's I'm, it's not jealousy is the wrong word, but it's like I've been. This is my forty first year, so I never quit. And, Did you and, expect that to be the case? So, I mean, you've had sitcoms, you've had TV. Well, success I think the and, alcoholism and the drug addiction probably prevented me from maybe by this time had had directing directed a few movies, and throwing away you know, millions of dollars and giving away at the height of my career, you know, opportunities because yeah. I just wanted to party. Yeah. But you know what? I know people who would who hung themselves. You know what I mean? So is it hang themselves? Yeah, no, hung themselves. Yeah. So I mean, I you know, it's sort of like I didn't burn. As, I I'm I'm with you right now. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I'm I'm alive. So. But is there any of that moment? Do you ever feel like fuck? I'm doing stand up still. No, stand up to me is one of the great crafts of all time. Yeah. I love it. It's so pure. Yeah. And uh, you know, the only notes I give are what I get from the audience if they laugh or not, and what I feel about my show afterwards. Now with Larry, you you guys go how far back do you go? We go back to when we were twelve, and uh, I have mentioned this, and I can do it in twenty seconds or less. I went to this sports camp, uh, which was very famous in New York State, and uh, he was there. Larry, a gangly, despicable human being, annoying. I hated him. You hated him in camp. Hated him. Hate. Hate. But, but that's why you remember him. But he hated me. But that's interesting. That is. Uh, but that's what. Bonded you. Well, what happened was <laughs> usually when you meet somebody at a camp, like, yeah, we we say, hey, maybe our you know, our parents will drive us into Manhattan. We'll go to Radio City and see Ben Hur or some shit. Mm -hmm. You know, we're twelve. You know, 
He was, as my mother would say, that Z on my list. Yeah. I always, I always made me laugh. Because the last thing I would ever do was see this fucking guy. Yeah. He annoyed me that much. Yeah. And me, and vice versa. Yeah. So I became a comic first, and he became, he was a real fan. He, he liked me. He liked, he liked right. me. Right. Then he became a comic, and I, and I heard about him. I went, whoa, what a fucking brain this guy's got. Yeah. So he helped me move out of my college girlfriend's apartment. We were inseparable. Yeah. Every day I saw him. For, <laughs> I performed every day, two or three sets a night. At Catch and the Improv? Everywhere. Yeah. I would drive to Long Island for $5, 100 miles round trip. I did not care. In fact, this guy, George Schultz, who we saw in a club, Pips in Brooklyn, said to me, he says, if, he says you got it, but if you don't eat shit, suck, and fuck this business... You'll never make it. You got to be ruthlessly passionate about it. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing the last line, but he yeah. did say you have to eat, suck shit, and fuck this. <laughs> yeah, the, he was the owner of Pips. Well, he, he wasn't like Keats, John Keats, and he, yeah, he, but did he own the place? Was that that guy? Yeah, he owned yeah. It, yeah. But they called him the Ear because yeah. he really knew. Uh, he really knew. And um, and you and Larry would go down there. No, not Larry. The, the thing was, Larry and I worked out at the Improv. Yeah. Uh, and catch mainly the original improv. So one night around one o'clock, you know, he wasn't a drinker or a big drug guy at all. Yeah, at all. Yeah, uh, I was. So um, I don't know if I was loaded or whatever, but I looked at him just like I'm looking at you, and I went, "There's something about you that's scaring the hell out of me, man." And he and he got spooked really fast. He yeah. said, well, "Stop it! Well, you're scaring me." I said, "No, no. It's like Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. It was like half a sheep, half a Jew <laughs> comedian." Jewish. Yeah. So he says, what are you talking about? I said, no, no, there's something about you that's scaring me. So somehow we got into retracing our childhood and I got back to 12 and I went, I went to this camp. You didn't remember, he didn't, you guys didn't remember each other? Until I said, I went to this camp all America. He said, I went to Cape all America. And then it hit me. I went, wait a minute. You're that Larry David? He says, you're that Richard Lewis? And we came to blows at the bar. No, you didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Over that? Well, we hated each other. <laughs> but that's like what I was to me. It's a billion to one shot. <laughs> we went from hatred, best friends, to hatred, to inseparable again. Yeah. Now, I don't see him much anymore. You know, he's divorced, obviously. Everyone knows he has two beautiful daughters. But, you know, we don't, you know, I, the, the thing I miss most about New York, one of the things. Yeah. Um, Everybody's around. You're around, you hop a cab. I'll yeah, see right you in a minute. Yeah. Here, you know, you, all right, so is there a, you know, <laughs> Uh, we so meet halfway see, somewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, really. It's eighty miles. I don't care what kind of is it Vietnamese. I, I, I'll eat a dead dog, but I won't. If but I can't drive eighty miles. I'll, I'll eat a dead dog for forty miles. Yeah, it's that, really, it's horrible. Yeah. So I don't see Larry that often. You talk to him. Yeah, we email more. Yeah. So, but that's interesting to me that you you have a, a sense of the fact that these guys, Albert Brooks, Woody Allen, and Larry David on some level are, are not the, the same type of warrior that you are in terms of stand-up. Yeah, it sounded like I was boasting, but... No, 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 a I lot understand of it, it. A lot of it has to do I'm with... I'm still like, out there. You know, like I was so judged by my family, particularly my mother, Yeah, that it makes sense to me now that I would hear the words, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Lewis, not have an act, not knowing what I was going to say, and say, all right, judge me. Yeah. I want to be judged every fucking night. But it would t- turn me into a warrior on the road. Like, yeah, I'm gonna fucking, I'm gonna take this audience and do the and try my best to just destroy them, you know. Because that's your thought. Yeah. Did, did you destroy ever go through them. that period where you're like you're defying them to like you? <laughs> like, there's part of me that it's sort of like, like I almost want them to not like me so I can win them back. The only, the only thing I can come close to that is that early on in my career, if I wasn't, if I was bombing, yeah. 
uh, I would want to bomb on my own terms. Right. So I would say, look, they're not they're not even laughing at the at this good shit. Right. At the gold. Yeah. So I say, anyway, so I, I bumped into Kafka and he's playing gym with Eddie Cantor. I, I would just do yeah. meaningless bullshit that would really bomb. Right. Then I'd walk off. I'd go, you know, fuck, you know, in my head, fuck them. Yeah. But, you know, it's not their fault. <laughs> I know. That's hard to learn, though, isn't it? Huh? How long did it take you to learn it's not their fault? Oh, it, I don't know, but it's a good question. a great question. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is there an algebra answer to that? Algebra? No, but the, some guy said something interesting to me. This guy, Stuart Lee, British comedian. Yeah. And he quit for two years because he couldn't take it anymore. The fact that he, how, how much he was angry at the audience yeah. for not fucking getting him. And then something happened in his soul where he realized that when he sees somebody who's not getting him, he feels bad for them because he knows he is who he is and he's not for everybody. And there's a no. moment where he's like, I, you know, I'm sorry you made the wrong entertainment decision, uh, but I'm not. I, there's nothing I can do for you. Uh, but I, I feel bad right. that this is how you spent your evening. But I, I, you know, I, I actually <laughs> apologize immediately when I go on stage. I go, half of you were dragged here. <laughs> you can jerk off. You can go have a drink. But you know, you don't have to. You don't have to stay. What's the best thing that can happen on stage for you on any given show? Like, is there I a moment? I, there is, I, well, I had lived so much that's that high is over with now. It doesn't. It used to be really great. Oh, really? That's gone. Jesus Christ! What else is there? Yeah, I'll tell you, when they rise to their feet, Okay. Th there's nothing like it. Okay. Because for me, you know, if you say that one thing where you're like, where the hell did that come from? You and know, like, oh, but I, I really, I'm not. You do that too much now, huh? I've been doing it for like 15 years that way, so now I'm used to it. Yeah. I'm used to the, I don't, that used to be such a high. Yeah. If you were doing, in particular, you know, the same 40 or 50 minutes and all of a sudden you sneak something in. Right. I laugh now when someone says, hey, I'm trying a new joke a week from Tuesday when I come down. <laughs> Oh, wow, what the fuck are you nuts? <laughs> you know, but, uh, I, you know, I, this, I I was just playing in Dallas. Yeah. And um, and I and this club owner, he's a nice guy. Yeah. And he might have done this tongue-in-cheek. Right. But I was calling, I remember telling my wife, because this is about the time I engaged, I, I asked her to marry me about six years ago. And um, it was one of those nights, there was probably maybe no more than like two or three Jews in the audience. Most of them were right-wing evangelical, which yeah. is fine, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Anyway, so I do this show, it's yeah. Sunday night. And, and, when, and when you do nightclubs, yeah. and I do some, if they're, if they're, they're nice rooms, the opening night audience, and in particular the Sunday night audience, when they come see you, they really want to see you. That's the best. Thursday and Sunday is the best. The best. That's because your fans come. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm there Sunday night, and it was just happened to be jammed. Yeah, I had 400 people or something. And I was just on fire. It was just one of those good nights. Yeah. And they rose to their feet, and I didn't know what the word was until I called my wife from Dallas. I went, I'm walking through. They're standing up. It's always a thrill to make people rise to their feet. Why that happens, you don't know. But and it doesn't. And, but and I'm not trying to boast here, but it was they kept applauding. And this owner said, I have never seen anything like this. I went, well... You know, I, I'm 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 grateful for it, and take me back to my hotel, and pay me. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna get me get me out of here. Yeah. So um, he takes me back, and he's still while he's driving. I've never seen anything like this because before we left the club, people would walk over aisles. It's called the, the stigmata when they wanted to touch the the, the Christ on right, the right, cross. Right, right, right. They want they were touching me. Yeah. I went. What's going on? I he says I've never seen. It. He knew. Yeah. And I asked my wife, and she was back in L.A., and she says, it's like the stigmata. You're like, 
They wanted to touch you. I went, get out of here. He said, no, no. I said, this, this, and this was maybe the greatest show that's ever happened. Yeah. So I get in to Dallas. The guy, in Dallas. So yeah. I get to the hotel. And the guy gives me my envelope. Yeah. And this is what show business is, is basically in a nutshell. They want <laughs> the, the best acts, actors, writers for the least amount of money. Right. So they're never going to boast a, too much about you. It's a guy giving you an envelope. That's, That's what it is. It's funny. Great name for a book. Guy giving me an envelope. They're clueless about why we're on stage. Yeah. And why shouldn't they? Yeah. But I said, and I thought, not being arrogant, but here's, you know, 400 Texans, you know, I'm, and I've been talking about Christ for 20 minutes, Yeah. wanting to touch me. Yeah. Feel my shirt, yeah. my skin. I don't yeah. know. It was weird. Yeah. But I, but I knew it was a positive thing. They weren't going to put yeah. me up on a cross. <laughs> not yet. Uh, yeah, not Maybe yet. you spent, spent yeah. another day there and had a mediocre show. You might end up on a cross. <laughs> That's true. Well, I had a, I had a, I rented a, I got out of there. Yeah. No matter how, I, I have to get out. Even yeah. if it's by camel for four weeks first. Out of fear of drinking? No, out of fear that they will hang me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Or the clan yeah. or something. So anyway, so... I say to the guy, he hands me the check, and I go, well, I'll see you next year, okay? Yeah. And he said, well, maybe. <laughs> he said, I said, maybe? And and had I been drinking, I, w I wasn't a mean drunk, but I was a... Rage? No, I was. I said things I didn't mean, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't yeah. a guy going, you know, fisticuffs and right. shit, but, but had I been drinking after that show, and this guy said, maybe... I might have just jumped right into the window and beat and tried. I'm not a strong guy, but yeah. I probably would have punched him. Yeah, because it made me. It, it was so grotesque that the guy couldn't give me credit. And I just feel, you feel the heaviness there, right? I'll that tell you moment, the heaviness. Yeah, huh? it just hits you right there. Like, oh, yeah, why well, you take that away from me for you, little fuck? Who well, you know, my, my wife again. She said to me, she "said When you go to some do some some gigs are really cushy. Yeah, and they pay a lot of money, and some gigs don't. She says, regardless, if you're playing Dallas." So there are people that in their 40s or 50s that might have grown up on you. Yeah. And uh, watch on Letterman when they're in college. I said, they, and there you are. And, and, and I'm not trying to boast. She said, they're paying a lot of money. It's a, it's a recession. They want you to, you know, said, it's do it for them. Fuck yeah. the owners, fuck yeah. the promoters. Right. And I said, otherwise, you're just sabotaging your own career. Right. And, and I really do it that way. You know, just before I go on, I go, just do it for those people. Yeah, do it for the people that love you. Who paid money to see me? Yeah, don't do it for the guy who's getting a blowjob in a ba by the by yeah. you know by the safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but um, but you know they deserve to make it. You know, but yeah. um, so who are your friends in comedy right you now? Got, just uh, it's you, just me. This is it. I'm 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 very uh, isolated. Yeah, and now what what does a day look like? Do you, do you eat healthy? What do you do? You exercise? Yeah, I exercise. I exercise, and uh, I don't eat. Uh, it's very hard now for me to eat what I used to eat because of my wife. She showed me pictures of cows, like what was your thing? Did you like? Uh, we you, you brought up on the Jewish food. Spent a lot on of time the in Jewish food. I just picture you because, like, you it's a you were. Sense, the but I grew up a Jew in New Mexico, so you were sort of like you a, were. Yeah, my parents are from Jersey, and I, I grew up mostly in New Mexico. But I go back to I went to school in Boston. And I uh, oh, you know I spent actually. a lot of family in Jersey, but I'd always love to we're, go we're to part of Jersey because I lived in Jersey. Uh, Pompton Lakes. Oh, which, that's, oh, that's, that's by Wayne and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, I live right over the George Washington Bridge yeah in Fort, in Fort Lee in Englewood yeah by uh, Buddy Hackett well yeah, my father was a caterer yeah the best one yeah 
So he catered every star, and he was booked on my bar mitzvah. Yeah. So I had to have it on a Tuesday. <laughs> my <laughs> own father. You had, a, you had a bar mitzvah on Tuesday? Oh, first time in Jewish history. <laughs> so you grew up in the food business? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's un- unbearable. Yeah. And my name of my company is uh, one of them, Melon Ball, because he could have brought home great food from the commissary, steaks and chai, but he only brought home honeydew and cantaloupe. In tins. That's that's hilarious. Shit our brains out for uh, twenty years. I have my grandmother's melon baller. I still have it. It was the scoop. The scoop. scoop, But it's got a wooden handle. It was hers. Great. great. I held on to that fucking thing. You should. Those are those are cool. Can I just? uh, I want to give you a anything on. But I I I gotta tell you this. The only reason I'm a little slow today is because I I have I'm just getting over this bad cough and I did about ten shows in the last two weeks. It's it's actually good. You relaxed. I wrote a book in 2001 called The Jerusalem Syndrome. My Life is a Reluctant Messiah. Is it what Messiah? Reluctant Messiah. It's funny. Yeah, I'll give it to you. You'll like it. But I just got to point something out to you. Sure. Because it's been, it's, I've had to live with this. And it has to do with you. I did really? a bit. Yeah. I had, did a bit. I used to do this bit about uh, going to the Philip Morris factory. Uh, you right. know, because I wanted to quit smoking. Right. And then I got there, and they had a sign on the desk that said, please feel free to smoke. And I was like, right. this is tremendous. Right. And then I go to this film strip, right? Did, did you try to get the job there because you knew you could smoke? Oh, it was right? unbelievable. I, I, I could have lived there. Right. So I go into this film presentation, not realizing how corporations work. They own a lot of other corporations. They right. own Kraft Foods, Miller Beer. Yeah, of course. Uh, and all this stuff. And, I, and I, in the bit, I said, it looked like the food pyramid in hell. Yeah, right. In hell. Not from hell. Right. The editor changed it to and from, from, to from hell. hell, and I said, "You got to be fucking kidding me!" So anytime I have like, there's only so much I can do. But when I give the book uh. to people, I I correct Sorry. it in the copy because well, I'm like, "That's to... not my bit." Well, when it comes out in paperback, you should put it in the forward. It, it's only it only came out in paperback. I'm oh. no big star, but I just I wanted to tell you that. Well, you know, I really did popularize that thing. Of course you did. I mean, I, it got to a point where I couldn't say it anymore. They would. I, I felt them. I, it was a hook. Was there? But it was an unintentional hook. It was a metaphor for me. Yeah. For being victimized. Right. By everything. It was, it was know, like I don't get no respect. Yeah. It was hyperbole. Right. But you know, the truth of the matter is, it's in the yearbook of quotations, but they still didn't write it properly. It, it was about me feeling of being a victim of any a person, place, or thing, and it wasn't, and that it was not, never my fault. Mm-hmm. And the way they wrote it wasn't exactly the way I intended it on stage, but um, but that's okay. I'm I'm flattered that you would even. Uh... That made me very uncomfortable for a long time, and I'd need and I, I'm glad we were able to get closure on that. Did people ever read it and say, "Hey, no, doesn't Richard Lewis say that"? All no, time? no, because it's just like it's one little thing in a book, but it bothered me because it was it was in hell. It was a clear. I mean, I I was making a, a, a visual. Well, I wasn't Matt, Matt Gronick, life in hell. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't worried. It wasn't the whole now book. I'm worried, now I'm worried that you ripped two people off instead oh, of one. Oh, God. Yeah. How dare you? I did. But it was just, no, no in no. hell, it's, it's not the same. No, it's not the same. But, uh, sure. but I'm going to get over it. So Yeah, resentments are bad. Did you ever meet Buddy Hackett? Yeah, my father catered his son's bar mitzvah. Oh, he did? Yeah. Did. So he had a Saturday party. I had a Tuesday party. <laughs> when I was in college, some professor brought me over a double album, Lenny Bruce Live at Berkeley. Oh, that's that's a that's a motherfucker that yeah. record. I mean, you got to listen to that nine times just to get yeah. his flow. But when I heard about it, when I heard it, I was only about eighteen. Yeah, and he died a year later. Yeah, I said I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew unconsciously it set a bar. Like if you can't even try to be this ferocious and fearless, what's the point? Yeah, 
And uh, well, that album's like the fucking Rosetta Stone because you know I there's so many layers, be. man. Yeah, I but I haven't. I still have it home. Yeah, the Koran Theater and and at Carnegie Hall, which I haven't heard because I don't like to hear, certainly from his head, premises because it's be too close. You really you've had to detach yourself from almost all comedy because I of have. fear. I have. I haven't gone into a comedy club in about twenty years. Was there were, was there a situation that provoked that, or are you just no. protecting yourself? No, I was first of all protect. I, I like. My, I wanted my palate to be clear. Mm -hmm. Like if I heard if I heard you do a, a routine, let's say it wasn't. Let's say it was a, a B plus, not even an A. Yeah. Okay, because you're really very very funny. But let's say it was a B plus, but it was about a cardigan. Yeah. I wouldn't even the cardigan would be off my brain, maybe for years. Yeah, I say, oh God, you know, he did it. I, I, I don't want to even talk about the cardigan. You got the mental file, like I throw that card away. Yeah, but we all know that yeah. most people aren't that ethical, and they steal. And it, it, the the bad thing about stealing is that when people steal from younger comics who yeah. have been working on something and do it on a talk show, you know, they'll side with the. Uh, with the with the famous comedian, the business one. will and the and the yeah. fans and will, the, yeah. And, and the audiences, can you imagine? Like these guys who go on cruises, they can rent any number of dozens of stand of of videos. Take the say ten minutes out of Eddie Murphy's ten minutes. Some pardon me, Eddie, right. stuff from you, from me, and they can do us an hour. That's fucking drop dead kill. And the audience won't know. No. Nor will they care. No, they're waiting for the buffet. Right. <laughs> Yeah, pass the pears, Harvey. <laughs> yeah, so it comes all what back around. I didn't get pears. <laughs> I didn't get pears. <laughs> Did you get pears? Unbelievable. So okay, in closing, and I you know, be honest with me, uh, I, I haven't I been? Yeah, you have a little peace of mind, a little happiness in your life. Absolutely, that's good. Yeah, no, I have, I, I do. I, I the biggest thing is that uh, is that I was able to stop. Uh, killing myself. I, I actually, when you go from a day where, I, when you're sitting across from a doctor in, in New York, and you th know that you're gonna have to stop, you're gonna have to live that the rest of your life without drinking, and and know that it's entirely impossible to do, to almost 17 years without a drink, it's impossible not to have some sense of gratitude, and because and and what I try to do is not to squander this sobriety and uh, try to figure out what got me so crazy to begin with that I wanted to medicate myself all the time. Did you find out? Well, there's no, you know, there's still things I do that drive people crazy, but much less so. And I think that the thing I do more, the two, the two things that I, that I think I do better than ever is I apologize immediately when I think I'm wrong. But the other thing that I do, which is really great, and sometimes people mention it on TV and they're not supposed to, but um, I have helped people help themselves save their lives. Well, and, that's part of the deal. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm in the same yeah, deal. I mean, I'm not, I mean, there's, there's 12 step programs. There's, I go to therapists. It's just, I have like a, a smorgasbord. But, but when you take, when you help somebody come out of the darkness, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. I and mean, that's that's the best standing ovation you can get. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. But in, in, in retrospect... Cause that's it, why I don't drink, by the way. One of the reasons. Yeah. Not only would my wife would just throw me into rehab and call a million people and they'd be in the house waiting for me like a posse. But the truth is, I wouldn't be able to like pick up a phone call like an hour before I go on where a guy like, you know, whacked out of you know, mine and yeah. then me getting on the phone going, get over to you know, yeah. help me, he's going to die. Yeah. I couldn't do it because I'm sitting there drinking vodkas out of the refrigerator. Yeah, I would then lose my, uh, I would lose my sheriff's badge right. to help other people. So that that helps me stay sober. Now, in 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 retrospect, 
you know, in dealing with w- where that came from, because you know, I, I struggle with that myself. Do you right. do you trace it back to your folks? I mean, can you feel where the the love was, you know, missing, or or what the the abandonment thing is, or what created that? Yeah, void? yeah, I, yeah. I I was the youngest. My sister eloped. I had a niece when I was twelve. Yeah, she was gone. My yeah. brother went was in the village, wearing a beret, reading Ginsburg. What's poems. the age difference? You know, eleven and nine. Yeah. So you know they're in their seventies and. You know, and, um, you know, I have, so I, I sort of, but my my father was a workaholic, never yeah. home. He yeah. died in his 50s. Yeah. Never saw me perform. Never saw me get into show business. My mother did, but my mother had a lot of problems. So um, so she, when my father died, she, you know, she basically cracked up. So, I mean, it's like um, she never really, she was maybe jealous of me, which is. Uh, so she tried to constantly put, put you down? Well, I would hear from, oh, your mother loves you. Right. But then I would take her on shows, like even on Stern. Yeah. And she would do things that, you know, Stern loved her. It would maybe have been good radio for him, but I was always trying to get her approval. Right. Until I realized it was sabotaging my career. Right. I did a warm-up before Carnegie Hall in my hometown theater in Englewood, New Jersey. Yeah. And she came two hours before the show and stood in the middle of the lobby and introduced herself as my her, my, my mother. <laughs> All about so her. So they all knew. Yeah. That's it. Look, look. She had problems. I yeah. had problems. But I mean, so when I would do high, you know, you're, you know, you're you. So yeah. I mean, you understand. So if I, this is not a joke. But if I said, so my father had twelve penises, one had a skull cap, whatever it would be, yeah. some dumb thing or yeah. not dumb. My mother would stand up and say, "Oh, your dad, your father didn't have twelve penises." <laughs> it was unbearable. <laughs> Because she had to, yeah. And then I took her on the on the ABC uh, uh, news show in yeah. New York. Eight, you know, five, three million people. The plug a date, brought her on again for her approval. Mm-hmm. She says, "You know what my son's best joke is?" And all of a sudden, I go, got nervous. I went, well, she just, she, what, "What do you mean, my? I don't even tell that many jokes." She did a Myron Cohn joke. <laughs> a Myron Cohn, like an eight in, an eight minute joke in Yiddish that ended in Yiddish. <laughs> And I said, that's your favorite joke of mine? Like, I really would say that. Yeah. And we're on live in New York, oh, and I'm going, okay. yeah, like, I'm really doing that joke. Yeah, okay. And then, I, then the the, cast, the crew was all, they're all oh, nervous. Boy. It was like the end, it was like <laughs> Rosemary's Baby and the vibe. It was like 10 below zero in the fucking studio. Because you actually had a fight well, with Well, the your bottom mother, line I mean, is, you know, and I've said this, but when I got the Tonight Show in this early 70s, I called her from right across from the whiskey. Yeah. And uh, I said, Mother, I'm going to be on with Johnny this week, Johnny yeah. Carson. Yeah. It took me two and a half years to get on the show. Yeah. Which is pretty fast, really. Yeah. Think about it. And I, and I said, I'm going to be on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And she said, quote, unquote, and this basically speaks volumes of what it was. Who else is on with you? Oh, yeah. And there you go. That's you it. it. Yeah. That's the nut. That's, that's, that's the current. That's why I'm a comic. The missing puzzle. That's my, yeah, there's Rosebud. <laughs> we got it. Thanks for sharing. Okay. So that's it. That's my talk with Richard Lewis, a prince among men, a prince among Jews, a prince among Jewish comics. It was nice to talk to him in the morning. I thought he was, uh, you know, he's, uh, it was good. He was a little mellow. He was focused. It was an actual uh, give and take. Lovely. Lovely. Please go to WTFPod.com, the new WTFPod.com. Get involved. Uh, I'm very excited about that new website. I just put up an episode list. There is a full episode list. So let's uh, minimize the tweets of redundancy, if we could, about guests. 
So do that. Go get the app for iPhone, iPod, iPod Touch, Droid, new merch, T-shirts. The schedule's there. Links to Just Coffee, there. Everything you need. Check out the new uh, Punchline magazine, which is called something else now. Laughspin, laughspin.com. Go look at that. New site. Sparkly, shiny, good. All the comedy news that's fit to print, laughspin.com. All right, I'm going to go. Did I mention that today's episode was brought to you by Comedy Central? Enter the Thursday dimension with all new episodes of Futurama and Ugly Americans. Thursdays at 10 p.m., 9 central. Go to comedy... Oops. Uh-oh. I screwed up in the silly voice. Go to cc.com to see previews, exclusives, and behind-the-scenes videos. Comedy Central. My face is on fire.